Today, we'll be looking at the book of Colossians as our next Bible series as at church. Um, so please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians. We'll be reading from chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Um, so that's Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Let's pray before we read together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for giving your treasured son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we could be part of your heavenly family. Please soften our hearts today and cultivate in us a heart of thanksgiving as we hear your word. And use Pastor Ricky as your mouthpiece as you speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, oh, sorry. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Cease. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see us all uh, gathering together around God's Word. What a privilege it is every time we do this on Sunday mornings. Uh, just remember that. It's such a uh, privileged joy that we can uh, reflect the heavenly reality of being gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ together. Uh, keep, please keep your Bibles open um, at Colossians 1. We'll be looking into that passage today. Please uh, open up your little booklets and grab your pens out if you're so inclined to take notes. That'll be a good way to follow along. Um, we're starting a new series this week called Boundless Treasure. Boundless Treasure in the book of Colossians about the ultimate worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That's what the series is about. We wanted to start this year beholding Jesus, just looking at Jesus Christ. You know, I think that's a fantastic place to start because this is how we will be transformed. I genuinely believe that. that. This is how we'll be transformed, to love God wholeheartedly and to live a life that will bring him much glory. Yeah, we just need to look at Jesus more. And our hope is that as we do this together over this first term, our hearts will be changed. I'm looking forward to this. I hope you guys are too. Colossians is one of my favourite books, so excited about this series. Uh, now let me start today with a bit of an observation. My observation is that we spend a lot of our time trying to please others. Isn't that true? We spend a lot of our lives trying to please other people. We grow up trying to please our parents. We do stupid things in high school to try to please our friends. 
We work long hours to try and please our boss. We care a lot about what other people think. Other people think. We want to please them. And not, not all of this is bad, actually. You know, for me as a husband and father, of course, there's a, there's a right good aspect of wanting to please my wife and my kids. I think that's a good thing. God's honoured when I'm seeking to love them and serve them. But we need to understand that this can't be the most important thing, pleasing others. We're often asking the question, how can I please others? But I wonder how often do you ask yourself the question, how can I please God? How can I please God? This question should be on our lips every day, every hour, every minute. This is what matters because God's opinion of us matters far more than what the world thinks, friends. If God is God, he's the one that made us, he's given us purpose and life, we need to ask this question, how do I live a life pleasing to God? And that is really the only question that matters. Our passage today is going to show us some answers here. How do I live a life worthy of God? How do I live a life that's pleasing to God? And I think you'll find, actually, that some of the answers we get might not be quite what you expect. Yeah. If you're not a Christian and you're here joining us today, it's so good that you're here with us today. If you don't yet follow Jesus, it's so good that you're here investigating. And I hope that even, maybe you're not asking the question yet, how can I please God? But I hope that you'll see today a beautiful picture of the life that God has laid out for us. And that pleasing Him actually is the way for true joy and satisfaction. All right, well, let's get stuck in. As we begin, um, as we begin any series, it's really important for us to understand the context of what's going on in the letter. Uh, so have a look at verse 1 with me, Colossians 1, verse 1. Um, when we're reading uh, this genre, which is a letter, an epistle, it's always great to just go to the intro. It will give us a lot of context. So Colossians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Okay? The book of Colossians is a letter. It's an epistle. We know this from the style of writing. Part of this is the way that the author introduces himself at the start of the letter. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that's who is writing. Apostle literally means a sent one, a messenger. And Paul was an early missionary sent with the message of the gospel to non-Jews. So actually, he should have a special place in our hearts. Did you guys realize that? Because he's our apostle. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell, actually, as is often his case with his letters. I guess he had a lot of time. But who was Paul writing to? That's a good question to ask. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Have a look at verse 2. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, Colossae was a city, uh, you can see on the map here, it's in sort of modern-day Turkey, that sort of area, Um, And Paul is writing to the Christian community there. That's what the term holy people means when it says to the holy people. It wasn't saying that only the holy guys could read this letter. It was saying that all these people who are God's people were seen as holy in God's eyes. They were set apart. They were Gentiles, non-Jews. And guess what? Paul had never met them. Do you guys realize that? He had never met them in person. He's only heard about them from others. So he didn't start this church. He just heard about it. So why is he writing to them? That's a good question. Why is he writing to them? Well, the key verse of this book actually comes in Colossians 2, verse 6. All right, so Colossians 2, verse 6 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing 
with thankfulness. This is why he is writing. This is why he's writing. To encourage the Colossians to keep persevering in their faith, to not stray away from the faith, but to continue in Christ. This is why the letter is here. And this is why the letter is here for us too. Friends, if you're a Christian, I want you to take note of this. This is the purpose of the letter, to encourage you to keep hanging on to Jesus because there's nothing better. And if you're not yet a believer, then I, this will show you, this passage, that it's worth it. All right? It's worth it. If you remember one thing from the series, guys, remember this. I'm giving you a bit of a, the cheap version here. Just remember this verse, okay? Remember this verse. It has to be this verse. Highlight it, memorize it, print it out, put it on your wall, whatever it is. This is what the entire book is about. If you get this, then you really understand the purpose of the book. But you might realize that the verse starts with a so then, a so then. So all the people that went to Ignite should know this by now. But when you see that, so then, it means that it links to something before. That means to truly understand this verse, we need to see what comes before it. So let's begin our journey into Colossians. We are going to see the reasons for this big encouragement to keep persevering, and we will also rediscover the foundations for our Christian life. We're at our first point, which is thanksgiving for gospel-shaped lives. Have a look at verse 3 with me in your Bibles, verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Now, one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul is that he's just so thankful. He's just such a thankful person. You know, when is he giving thanks? Did you notice in this verse? How often does he give thanks for the Colossians? Well, it's always, always. Every time he prays for them, he gives thanks. Why is he giving thanks? Well, there's two things that he's giving thanks for because of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all God's people. Their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all God's people. Remember, um, Paul's never been to Colossae, but this is the report that he's getting back. As people come and tell him about the church, this little Christian community there, this is what he's hearing, that their markers are faith in Christ and love for all God's people. It's a pretty good report card. If someone visited CPE Church and they walked away saying these two things or what stood out, I'd be pretty happy with that, wouldn't you? Well, where did this faith and love come from? Paul goes on to remind them. Have a look at verse 5. Verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Faith and love come from hope. Faith and love that springs from the hope stored up in heaven. Now, hope is anticipation. It's looking forward to something. And Christian hope is unlike any other. It's sure. It's certain. Why? Because God himself has secured it for us. God is holding on to this hope for us. It's stored up for us in heaven. This hope is of a heavenly home with him forever. This hope is a powerful thing because it enables Christians to endure in faith, steadfastly trusting Jesus no matter how hard life gets. It empowers Christians to love because we know we can give it all up for the sake of others, but we still have a heavenly home waiting. It's worth it. And this hope, it only comes in one way. It only comes in one way. Did you see in verse 5? In the true message of the gospel. In the true message of the gospel. 
and have a look at verse 6. Let's keep reading on. The true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand, understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. The gospel, the message of Christ's death and resurrection for, for the forgiveness of sins, this, this message, it transforms lives. The Colossians are bearing fruit because the gospel is changing them. They're showing different things in their life, transformed ways of living in holiness for God. And this is the case all throughout the world. That's what it says here. As the gospel spreads everywhere that it goes, everywhere that it touches, lives are being changed. People are being transformed. Faith and love, they come from hope, but that hope is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel comes from people speaking it. After all, when you think about it, gospel, that word means good news. Good news, you tell good news, don't you? That's what the gospel's for. For the Colossians, it was uh, Epaphras, a faithful minister of Christ, who brought them the gospel, the guy who started the church there. But it's a reminder for us, isn't it? Transform lives start with someone speaking the gospel. That's where it all starts. Do you see? If you you look at the diagram, it all starts with someone speaking the gospel. I wonder who that was for you in your life. And I wonder if you realize too that that could be you for someone else. So far we've seen Paul is so thankful for the Colossians, overflowing with thanks for their faith and love springing from their heavenly hope, a heavenly hope that they heard about in the gospel. Now these guys... They are going really well in their spiritual lives, right? Like, this is a really positive report, which is why the next section actually is a little bit odd. We're at our second point, a prayer for God to be pleased. Have a look at Colossians, verse 9, 1 verse 9. 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives Now, it would make much more sense here if Paul had started this intro by saying, hey, Colossians, I've heard you are struggling big time. For this reason, I haven't stopped praying for you. That's not not what he's saying here. Did you notice that? He's essentially saying to them, Colossians, I've heard fantastic things about you. You guys are going really well spiritually. So for this reason, I haven't stopped praying for you. Seems a bit odd. Why? Well, what does this tell us? It tells us that we never graduate from needing prayer. We never graduate from needing prayer. Until we finish this journey, when Jesus returns and brings us home, we need help. We haven't arrived yet. It doesn't matter how well you're going in the Christian life. So friends, here's something to think about, just for a minute. Don't just, don't just pray for those who seem needy. Of course, pray for those people. But how about praying for those who are going well also? Because guess what? We never stop needing prayer. We need God's help. What does Paul pray for specifically? Well, verse 9, he says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul wants the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, to be bursting at the seams with the knowledge of God's will. Now, what does this mean? Um, Knowing God's will is a big thing, 
for us as Christians. I know, like, we always want guidance from God to know what to do. What's the best decision to make? Now, we might think when we hear about God's will that it's about making God making clear every decision that we have in life, giving us guidance so we know exactly what to do. Now, God could do that. How, you know, he, he, he may do that in your life. How amazing would it be if you just walked around and you said to God, who should I marry? And some big neon, you know, arrow started pointing to someone. You're like, yes, and then you just propose and it's all good and that's fine. That would be amazing. But you know that's not how God normally works. When it talks about the knowledge of God's will here, this isn't what Paul really has in mind, that specific personal guidance for every decision in your life. The focus here, when it talks about God's will, is what God delights in, what God takes pleasure in, God's will, what God desires. And this verse tells us that this only comes as the Holy Spirit works to bring wisdom and understanding. No wonder Paul's praying here. This is a supernatural work. How else will we know truly God's desire? Later on in Colossians, we'll see that this wisdom can only be found in Christ Jesus. We'll go deep into that later on. But for now, let's just take a look and see that the end goal of this prayer, this prayer to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, is this. Have a look at verse 10 with me. This is the end goal of being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord... And please him in every way. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And this goes back to our intro. What does it mean to live a life pleasing to God? I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to live a life pleasing to God. What does that mean? The apostle points out four things that make up a life pleasing to God. Four things. Number one is bearing fruit in every good work. Number two is growing in the knowledge of God. Number three is having great endurance and patience. And number four is giving joyful thanks. They're the four elements he points out as a life pleasing to God. Now, in the text, just to let you know, they aren't so clearly split apart. Okay, These four things have deep interconnections and flow from each other and overlap from each other. But I've set it out like this just to give us a little bit of clarity about these elements that we don't often maybe think about as pleasing God. Okay? So, firstly, we'll work through some of these more quickly and we'll go more in depth later on. Firstly, bearing fruit in every good work pleases God. Bearing fruit in every good work pleases God. Right? I wonder how many of you when you had that chat about pleasing God before, talked about obedience, yeah? When you talked before about what pleases God, you talked about obedience. I think that's a natural place to go, and this indeed is vital. Bearing fruit in every good work is pleasing to God. Living a life that is holy and godly and transformed honors God. It pleases Him. Of course, obedience is necessary. I don't think anyone would argue with that. That's one of the elements. Number two, growing the knowledge of God pleases God. That's the second element. Of course, that pleases him. As we get to know him better through his word and prayer, he is greatly pleased. Because it's not just knowing about God that we get in his word, it's knowing God better. This is a relational activity that we do. He's delighted when we get to know him better through his word. He's a relational God. Growing in the knowledge of God pleases God. That's the second thing. And having having great endurance and patience pleases God. That's the third thing. Having great endurance and patience pleases God. We'll spend a bit more time here. Let me tell you something, friends. The Christian life is not a sprint, okay? The Christian life 
is more like a marathon. We need to be in it for the long haul. We need to be in it for the long haul. We need to persevere. We need to keep going, and it will be hard. But maybe I'll change up the analogy and push it one step further. It's, it's not really an, a marathon that's on this really smooth road with an Olympic-grade running course that we get to finish on. It's probably more accurately described as something like this, like a tough mudder course. Anyone done one of those? I know some of you people have done it. Susie, you've done one, haven't you? Don't be embarrassed. Ben's done one. It's like a tough mudder course. I've not gone near one of these things. I don't know why you would, but that's all right. Um, but essentially, it's a race where you have to just... You can just look at the picture. You navigate all these obstacles. You're crawling in mud. There's, is there, like, barbed wire and stuff that you crawl under and think, like, you're voluntarily doing that? Anyway, that's a different matter. <laughs> but the Christian life, the journey's a bit like this. It's a journey you have to persevere in. There are obstacles every single step of the way, and it will be hard work. It will be hard work. Life is hard. We know this. Life is hard enough as it is, but when you sign up to follow Jesus, you sign up for even more suffering. You sign up for persecution. Persecution, as the world thinks, you are ridiculous for following a fairy tale religion. The world thinks that you are stupid for binding yourselves to rules that limit your pleasure, that you are bigoted and primitive for holding to biblical teachings on sexuality, amongst other issues of morality in our society. This running track that we're on has plenty of potholes. And as obstacles and after obstacle gets thrown at us, our call is not to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. It is to have great endurance and patience, to not just last till we finish uni, but to last through our working life, to last through having kids, last through sickness and deaths in our family, last through hardships, whatever life might bring. You finishing well, finishing the race well, that greatly pleases our God as you hold on to the hope that you have till the end. But let me tell you something. You can't do it by yourself. And you don't have to. Did you notice what verse 11 says? Have a look at verse 11. Verse 11 says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. God himself is lending you power. God's power, his, this is what it says, his glorious might is in you as a believer of Jesus Christ if you trust him. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do amazing things, to not give up when it's hard. What a great comfort that is, just to have God's power with us, friends. So enduring with patience, that greatly pleases God. Endurance. Yeah. And the fourth thing is giving joyful thanks to God. Giving joyful thanks pleases God. When I was reading through these verses, this is the one I didn't quite expect. All right? I always knew giving thanks to God was important. Of course it is. But I just didn't think it was this important. Here, here it is put forward as a vital ingredient of a life that is worthy of God. Did you realize that? It's a vital ingredient. And the more I thought about it, the more I understood how important it was. The more I was seeing how vital it was. And I, I'm going to make a big statement here. A big statement. And here's what I think. If you aren't living a life of thanksgiving to God, you aren't living a life that's pleasing to Him. 
Let me say it again. If you aren't living a life of thanksgiving to God, you aren't living a life that's pleasing to Him. Now, hear me out here. I'm not talking about being happy all the time, joyful all the time. You can't ever be sad or ever admit that life is hard, just plaster on that song. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that this is the necessary response to what He has done for us. You can look with me at the following verses and then you can make up your mind if I'm right, okay? So have a look at verse 12 with me. Verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Firstly, our God has given us a new status, a new status. We are counted as his sons and daughters. We get to call him father, which means we get to share in the inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Eternal life, joy with him. It's like, it's like Queen Elizabeth coming to you and saying, come on in to the Buckingham Palace. You know, crown jewels, they're all yours. Take whatever you want. Just pick. You can take them. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve to be treated like royal blood. You don't deserve to be part of the family and receiving the inheritance. We don't deserve that, just like we don't deserve to partake in God's riches, God's rich inheritance. We get to be part of his family. He says to us, it's all yours. It's all yours. We have a new status before God. Verse 13 Here's more of what he's done for us. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, friends, here's what we need to understand. We all need rescue. We all need rescue. Yes, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. The Bible's picture is of two spiritual realities. You can't see them, the spiritual realities, but it's, it's there. You either belong to the domain of darkness under the rule of Satan or you belong to the kingdom of Christ under the rule of God's beloved son. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. And friends, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, your reality is that you have been rescued. A great transfer has occurred where you've been brought out of the domain of darkness, out of the power of sin ruling your life. This is this unbreakable slavery that we are in. But you've been brought out of that and now you live in the kingdom, the kingdom of the good and gracious and sovereign King, Jesus Christ. We may not be able to see it with our eyes right now, but this is our reality. We belong to the kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the good news. How did this happen? How did we sinful, undeserving people get into the kingdom of the Son? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't because... Of us. It wasn't because of us. It wasn't because we somehow got good enough or we loved other people enough or we came to church enough that we got in. It's because Jesus gave everything for us. Have a look at verse 14 again. What's verse 14 say? It says, In whom, talking about Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were once slaves to sin, powerless and hopeless, but in Christ we have redemption. This means that we have been bought 
This is what redemption means. A price has been paid so that you can be freed from slavery, bought out of slavery. A price has been paid. Listen to that. A price has been paid so we can have forgiveness of sins. Do you know what that price was? Well, it cost Jesus everything. I'm glad the kids know. That's what we'd love to see. It's never too early. Friends, it cost Jesus everything. Jesus faced God's anger instead of you. Jesus suffered and died for you so that you can be rescued from the domain of darkness and you can enter the kingdom of the Son so that eternal suffering and hell is not your only option but eternal joy and blessings can be yours so that you can have hope where once you had none, no hope. Now friends, isn't that something to be thankful for? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to remember something. Our Father God has done more for for us than we can ever, ever comprehend. He has given us new life at the cost of his own son. And if you're not thankful for that, if you're not thankful for that, then you haven't understood it. You really haven't. Because this is why Thanksgiving is, is, is vital to a life pleasing to God. If we get the gospel, if we really, really get it, not just at an intellectual level, but we really get it, we grasp it in our hearts, we will be bursting with joyful thanksgiving. How could we do anything else? We were once hopeless and now we have eternal life. And Jesus has died for us so that that could happen. When we're thankful to God, when we realize what's happened, and we respond in thanksgiving, God is greatly pleased. This is what he delights in. Friends, God is incredibly pleased when we are incredibly thankful. God is incredibly pleased when we are incredibly thankful. But that thanksgiving will only come when we just look at Jesus more. Just look at Jesus more. You can't manufacture it, right, by trying harder. You just have to look at Jesus and realize. So here's the question. How is your thanksgiving? How's your thanksgiving? This really matters, friends, because I think if we don't think hard about this, and we might go our entire lives trying to please God, but end up realizing that we missed out on a vital ingredient of what he delights in, us just giving thanks to him. Joyful thanksgiving isn't an optional extra. This is a key distinctive of Christians. Like I said before, it's not about putting on a happy face all the time. You don't have to be the Ned Flanders Christian. If you guys still know what, who Ned Flanders is, it's, is Simpson still on TV? I don't even know. Yeah, you don't have to pretend to always be okay, even if you aren't. Christians know better than anyone that sin has wrecked this world. And we need to acknowledge this and weep and evil and sin. I think that's an appropriate and good thing to do. But what I'm saying is that even, even in the face of this hardship, we have a reason to be thankful. As we seek to endure patiently, to finish the marathon, the Tough Mudder race, we can give thanks because Jesus has rescued us already. We can give thanks because Jesus has secured our place in heaven already. That is sure. The gospel, it gives us a deep well of joyful thanks that will never run dry, even in the harshest droughts, no matter how hard life is. Mental health, physical pain, the death of those we love around us, 
persecution, broken relationships. Nothing changes the gospel hope that you have. Nothing changes it. You can always give thanks. So here's my question. Does this show in your life? Does this show in your life? Are you a person characterized by gospel thankfulness? Would your friends around you say, this is a person who is thankful? I can see that their faith gives them something different. I know for me that I'm a person that tends to see all the problems. I don't know if that's you. I'm a person that tends to see all the problems. My tendency is when I come to church, for example, um, I think, oh, here's all the things that need to be fixed, or here's the things that we need to improve, or here's the thing. And obviously, there's something good at that. You know, part of my role is to help the church so we can reach more people. But here's the problem. When I, do, when I get so caught up in that, I never give thanks to God for what he's doing. That's the danger, that I won't give thanks to God. I'll completely miss out on this vital ingredient of living a life pleasing to God. I miss all the gospel fruit that's popping up all around me while I keep pruning and watering and tending the vine, hoping that more comes out. I know for me, I need to view the life through the lens of gospel thankfulness, hunting for signs of God's grace. And maybe that's something you need to do as well. But I want to leave you with one thing I think we can all do if we are people of Christ. It's this. All right? Some simple steps that we can all do. It's to stop, remember the gospel, and give thanks to God. Three steps. Stop. That's an important one. Stop. Remember the gospel. And give thanks to God. The great thing about having uh, kids is as you seek them to, as you seek to raise them to know Jesus and follow Jesus, you yourselves are forced to think harder about that. That's what has been really helpful for me, sanctifying for me. Um, I pray far more now than I ever did before I had kids because I'm trying to teach them to pray and pray with them. Recently, I've been convicted to put this line into my daily prayers with them, and it goes a little bit something like this. Uh, Father God, uh, we're sorry for the sins we have done today. Please forgive us. And we're so thankful that Jesus has died to pay for those sins already. Please help us to keep trusting in him as our super saviour each and every day. That's a prayer that I'm praying daily with the kids now. Maybe that's a prayer you want to try. Uh, You can take out the super saviour bit if you want, or you can keep it in. It's a good line as well. But as I've done that, I've been challenged because it's forced me to give thanks to God. It's forced me to grapple with the reality of the gospel and how great it is that we have forgiveness. My challenge to you is this. Every time you talk to God, every time you pray I want you to start by saying thank you. Do you think we can do this? Every time you pray to God, let's start by saying thank you. You got an exam to pray for? You can pray for that exam. That's fine. But how about we stop and say thank you to God first that he saved you. (laughs) You're sick? Pray for that, but thank God for saving you first. You're having conflict? Pray for that, but thank God for saving you first. I think it'll be a great habit for us to get into. And I think that if you get into this good habit, it not only will change the way that you view your situations in life, but you'll begin to live a life that is fully pleasing to God. And isn't that what you're here for? To please God? To live a life as a fully devoted disciple of Jesus for God's glory? We need to remember God is immensely, incredibly pleased when we are incredibly thankful. God is incredibly pleased when we are incredibly thankful.
So friends, give thanks to God before you bring your request. Let's try that. I think that will transform the way that our hearts are set towards God. And it all starts when we stop and remember the gospel. Look at Jesus. Behold your God. And just let your thanks flow out of that. As you remember the one in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. We just want to thank you for what Jesus Christ has done for us. That when we are at our worst, when we're completely hopeless and dead in sin, and just wanting to follow our own way, that he came to die to forgive our sins, and that he's risen to life to give us eternal life, and that he holds us secure, and that this all comes by grace, nothing that we've done. We just give you great thanks and praise, and we just ask your forgiveness for when we take that for granted. Help us to live a life that is worthy of you, that is fully pleasing to you. And we pray that that will start and that will finish in joyful thanksgiving because that gospel hope is greater than anything this world can throw at us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his honour and glory. Amen.